The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Happy Father's Day. And I want to welcome you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank Mitt Vickerman for that excellent communion homily and if you want a chance to thank Mitt or his wife Maya for anything, you better get on it because next week is their last Sunday with us. I know. I know. It is very tragic. It's, it's exciting for them. It's exciting for them. But selfishly, it's very tragic. They'll be heading back to Malaysia and then I believe on to Singapore eventually. And so we are really going to miss them. They have been such an incredible blessing to this entire church and especially the youth group and Leah. And um, they've been a huge blessing to me. So if you are ready for next week, I hope you will be ready for some waterworks because it's going to be pretty sad. But we're excited for them. And now that I have thoroughly saddened you this morning... uh, I can at least say that we are in a psalm of new orientation today, so that is exciting. We are in Psalm 40 this morning, and I will go ahead and read that in the NIV as we begin together. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. 
May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great, but as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you this morning. And I want to thank you for each and every person gathered here, Lord. I want to thank you for what you're doing in their hearts, for the journeys they are on, the journeys they continue, and that they continue only by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for being trustworthy. And we put all of our trust in your name, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us a word this morning. I ask for the gift of preaching. And I ask that we would hear your gospel truth and live it out in our lives, God. We praise the name of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Of all the places for your car to break down, a foreign country is not the best option. Ireland is probably better than some options, granted, but still, car breaking down, foreign country, not fun. But it was day three of Lara's and my big trip, and we were in Ireland. We rented a car in Dublin, and we decided to drive all the way to the other side of the island, three hours, to go see those famed cliffs of Mohair. And we did. We went all the way. It was a beautiful drive, the Emerald Isle. Get to the cliffs. They're absolutely fantastic, and they're wonderful. We start to leave, head back home, and about 15 minutes into our drive, we get to a really sharp curve in the road. Now, I need you to remember a few things at this point in the story. Keep these in your head. First of all, I was driving on the opposite side of the car, opposite side of the road. So right side of the car, left side of the road, very disorienting. Secondly, very narrow roads. There were very large tour buses headed in our direction, passing us, and they were coming over the center median, and so I had a tendency to kind of keep the car towards the left shoulder of the road. Thirdly, I need you to not fixate on the fact that Lara had already told me multiple times to slow down. <laughs> not relevant. And so we're coming along, and there's this really sharp curve, and there's this pavement drop-off into the ditch. It's very sharp. It's like a 90-degree angle. And I see it, but not quite in time. And so what we hear is, and we pull to a stop, get out of the car, and we have blown the two tires on the left side of the car. Now, at this point, Lara always interjects that uh, she was immediately filled with pure rage. <laughs> but that I was also angry at myself, and I don't get angry that often, so I think at that moment, God just kind of like lifted the anger out of her body, and she was fine. But if you're not keeping track of the stat sheet, uh, we are on day three of our trip. We're three hours from where we need to take a ferry the next morning, it's in the evening, we have 0% cell phone service, and we have just blown two of our four tires. 
So fortunately, we had kind of landed in a driveway. We go up the driveway, and we ask this Irish man uh, who comes out of his house, and uh, you think you're able to understand English? <laughs> Your own language? Lara was picking out probably 25% of the words. I was at like five. But she kind of translates my own language to me. We talk to this guy. We use his cell phone. We get the Irish AAA or whatever. We had gotten the rental insurance, so that was taken care of. This guy comes out, fixes our flats. We're back on the road in just over an hour. Deliverance. Hallelujah. And I think in a very small, lighthearted kind of way, this story follows the rhythm of the psalms that we've been in. You, you might think about that drive out to the cliffs, that beautiful drive and the beautiful cliffs as orientation, uncomplicated, equilibrium. And then you might think about the tire flats, the two tires, the 0% cell phone service in a foreign country as disorientation. And then, of course, being rescued being delivered, being pulled out of the pit. That's new orientation. And that's where we are this morning, in Psalm chapter 40. And I want to start specifically in the first three verses. Let's revisit those where the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. The psalm opens kind of famously with that, I waited patiently. But those words sort of imply a passive psalmist. And it's a much stronger opening than that. Actually, what we get in the Hebrew is a verb and then basically kind of a duplicate verb. So you could translate it as waiting I waited or hoping I hoped. And I think that, that weighty beginning kind of implies just how great the psalmist's need for rescue was. And he says, God lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Uh, to continue with the car imagery this morning, if you've ever been stuck in the mud, like really, really stuck in the mud, you know that that is a very helpless feeling. Because there is really nothing you yourself can do to get that vehicle out. I mean, it really doesn't matter if you've got Dodge, Hemi, built Ford, Tough, V8, whatever. You're not getting out of there on your own. You're going to keep spinning your tires and flinging mud. But when I think of being stuck in a vehicle as a native South Dakotan, I don't go to mud right away. I go to snow, actually. And if you've seen a South Dakota blizzard, just foot after foot after foot of snow in the ditch, you know what it's really like to have no capabilities of escape. You are trapped, and you have got to have somebody come get you. But being trapped there in the mud, in the snow, that is what disorientation feels like. 
That is what being trapped in sin feels like. The weight is far too great. Your own gravity is working against you, and you have no power to pull yourself out of the ditch. And that's where we are in Psalm 40. The psalmist realizes he's encountered this complete inability to save himself. And so he's waiting, he's waiting, he's hoping against hope. And God comes and pulls him up out of the mud and mire. He gives him a new song. And in verse 4, we get this wonderful little beatitude to kind of end the first section. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. And then we have kind of a marked transition here in the text. Uh, we move from verses 4 to 5, and we know it's a transition because the language changes. We go from first person to second person. The psalmist goes from talking about God, talking about that rescue, to directly addressing God himself. He starts talking to God. He says, many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. And he gets to verses 10 and 11. He says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. And what you need to know and realize here, I want you to notice some of those word choices. Faithfulness. Saving help. Love, or as some translations say, steadfast love. These are very weighty, important terms. These are actually loaded terms from Israel's faith tradition. So when the psalmist uses words like faithfulness, he's talking about the God who was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he uses words like saving help, he's talking about the God who saved his people out of bondage in Egypt, who saved them from slavery under Pharaoh. And when he talks about love or steadfast love, God's chesed love, He's talking about the God who loved his people and didn't abandon them in the wilderness, but brought them to the promised land. And so when we hear these words, we're supposed to hear this great salvation history of God with Israel. We're supposed to jump back to God's mighty acts, God's greatest hits. It's a little bit like the Beatles song, Glass Onion. John Lennon wrote a song. Hear me out. John Lennon wrote a song for the White Album called Glass Onion. And in that song, he, he kind of references, he drops in all these words from Beatles history, essentially. He, he references strawberry fields. He talks about Lady Madonna. He, he drops in the walrus and the fool on the hill. And when we hear this, uh, he's trying to, to conjure up this history and mythology of the Beatles. And he's trying to call us back to everything great that has come before. Now, in John's case, we might accuse him of a little bit of self-indulgence or 
Maybe self-aggrandizing there. But the psalmist is not being self-aggrandizing. The psalmist is being God-aggrandizing. He is singing God's praises and calling us back to this great history of salvation with God and His people. But these references become all the more important when Psalm 40 takes a strange turn. I don't know if you noticed when we got to verse 12 in the psalm, but let's jump back to 12 and 13. He says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. You might be thinking, Brett, I thought we were in a psalm of new orientation this morning. You know, what gives with the sins and troubles surrounding me and the heart failing within me? Are you trying to preach us a trick psalm today? But we have this, this strange turn because we start with, God, you lifted me up. You set my feet on solid ground. You've given me a new song. And then everything seemingly comes crashing down by verse 12. And notice specifically some of the, the language reversals that happen here. Uh, so, so back in verse 5, the psalmist was talking about God's wondrous deeds, and he talked about how they would be too many to declare. They were incalculable. But by verse 12, what's incalculable? It says, troubles without numbers surround me. In verse 3, he talked about this new song God had given him. And he said, many will see and fear and trust in you, Lord. But what happens with sight in verse 12? He says, my sins have overtaken me. I can't see, God. And in verses 8 and 10, he says, your law is within my heart, and I'm not going to hide your righteousness in my heart. Praise God. And by verse 12, his heart fails within him. You ever find that the places in your life that feel most secure, most shored up, most put together, are sometimes the very places where life begins to break down? That career in which you found so much success and fulfillment gets cut short. That marriage that was so strong and set steady becomes beset by sin. That health and strength of youth gives way to a debilitating disease. And we experience these great reversals, these times of deliverance and salvation, and we get our feet set on solid ground again, and we slip. And we say, God, I, I just beat that. We just beat that habit, that sin. God, she was, she was just recovering. 
God. We were just experiencing a season of new orientation. And now this. And suddenly that long history of Israel, those words remembered by the psalmist, comes into sharper focus. Because who does that sound like? Standing on solid ground only to slip back into the mud and mire. It sounds like Israel being rescued out of Egypt, taken out of bondage for Moses to come down the mountain and see them worshiping a golden calf. It sounds like the book of Judges, that cycle that we see again and again of God's people being saved and then turning from Him in unfaithfulness, somebody conquering them, repenting to God, Him saving them again, only to turn back to unfaithfulness. It sounds like the Apostle Peter answering the call of Jesus, stepping out of the boat onto the water, looking down, wavering, and sinking. It sounds like the people of God. There's this famous character in uh, Greek mythology named Sisyphus. And Sisyphus was said to be the first and founding king of Corinth. And somebody who kind of tricked and outsmarted the gods throughout his life. So when he died, the gods consigned him to this task of pushing a very heavy boulder up the hill. Uh, Only they had enchanted the boulder in such a way that every time he got right near the top, it would roll back down again. And so up and up he would strain against this boulder, push it up to the top, and it would pitilessly fall back down, up, down, up, down. And I think there's a little bit of Sisyphus here in Psalm 40. You know, from the start, the psalmist has seen this heavy burden lifted off of him. He's been given a new song, Feet on Solid Ground. And by verse 12, we see this boulder roll down the second half of the psalm. To where by the last verse, he's he's saying, I'm poor and needy, God. He starts with, I waited patiently, and he ends with, troubles surround me. And far more than Sisyphus, I think we are here in Psalm 40 as well, aren't we? We find deliverance, we mend that relationship, we beat that sin, we kick that habit, only to fall off the wagon back down to the bottom of the hill yet again. And many times, I think the problem is, is that we've forgotten what we learned in verse 4. We've forgotten that beautiful little beatitude in Psalm 40, verse 4, where he said, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And sometimes we, we take our eyes and our trust off of the Lord back onto ourselves. But God says, put your trust in me. Because we're we're straining against these boulders again and again up the hill, back down, up the hill, back down. But we're not defined by Sisyphus. 
We're not defined by a mythological Corinthian king. We're defined by the king of kings, folks. We're defined by Jesus Christ who who tells us we don't have to push that boulder on our own. He didn't push a boulder. Jesus took a cross to the top of the hill and when he got there, it stuck. And it was from the top of that hill that he confronted sin and death. That he confronted the whole history of human calamity and absurdity and cosmic darkness. And the only boulder that rolled on that day was the one that settled in front of his tomb. But guess what? It didn't stay there long. He rose again, church. And that power is resurrecting us even now. And the same Jesus who conquered sin and death in the cross and the resurrection is the same one who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He says, Give me those boulders. He says, take my yoke, my burden, for it's light. And he says, carry one another's burdens, and in that way you fulfill my law. Church, we've got to carry each other's burdens. And it doesn't matter how many times you fall back in the mud and mire, Jesus is always standing, and he's always that solid rock upon which we can stand got to put our trust in him to carry us through if you want to hear more about that gospel that good news of jesus christ we want to talk to you this morning as you come forward if we stand and sing together